Thank you, Miss Heather. I appreciate that. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter number 7. There are a few cities in the gospel record that were pretty significant in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, three in particular, according to Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1, he was born in Bethlehem. That makes Bethlehem a pretty significant city. Significant in prophecy, significant because Jesus the Lord was born there. Matthew chapter 2 also talks about the city of Nazareth. It's the city where Jesus grew up, spent his uh, childhood years. That makes that city pretty significant. And then in Matthew chapter 4, we find the city of Capernaum. And that seems to be the city that he made his home base during his uh, adult ministry, during his public ministry. And so you have three cities that were very significant in the Gospels, three cities that were significant in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, Bethlehem, where he was born, Nazareth, where he was raised, Capernaum, where he led his public ministry. In fact, Matthew chapter 9 actually calls Capernaum, it says it's his own city. And so Jesus made his home in three different cities. It's actually not too different from many of us. Many of us have lived in different cities. When I was born, uh, my family lived in Covington, Kentucky. Uh, so I was when I was born, I lived in Covington. Uh, I was my childhood years, I was living in the west side of Cincinnati. And so when I moved up here to Fairfield and people would talk about the west side, you know, teenagers would be like, oh, I live over on the west side. I'd be like, I'd be like where at? Like Eaton Avenue. I'm like, there's no Eaton Avenue on the west side of Cincinnati. Or like Northwest Washington. Like, nope, nope, no Northwest Washington on the west side of Cincinnati. Found out there's a west side of Hamilton, which is not as good as the west side of Cincinnati. But uh, so I lived in Covington. I lived in, in, on the west side of Cincinnati. But then in my adult years, I've lived most of my adult years in Fairfield. And so I too have three significant cities in my life. So Jesus had three significant cities in his life, but he also made multiple uh, visits to a number of different cities. For instance, Bethany. That was, that was a, a significant city of sorts in his life because he had good friends that lived in Bethany. You might remember that Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. You might remember that Simon the leper lived in Bethany. You actually might remember that Bethany was where Jesus actually ascended into heaven. And so Bethany is a significant city, not quite like the other three, but even like Caesarea Philippi. You might remember that's where Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He made multiple visits to Caesarea Philippi and even Cana. It's where he had the first uh, miracle, uh, uh, the turning of the water into wine was in Cana. He actually got one of his disciples, Nathaniel, from Cana. And so he had three significant cities. And then he had cities that maybe weren't to the level of those three, but they, they, he made multiple visits there. And then he would even speak of different cities, cities like Tyre and Sidon and, 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 and Bethsaida and different places like that. But did you know that there's a handful of cities in the ministry of Jesus that he only went to one time? Makes this list of cities that he only visited one time an interesting list. And I'm curious about the cities and the life of Jesus of Nazareth that he visited one time what we might learn of those cities. What might we learn from the areas in the ministry of Christ that he visited one time? Let's look at our Bibles tonight, do a little Bible study on the areas in the ministry of Christ that he visited one time. You should be in Luke chapter number seven. And as we begin, I just want to clarify that I understand that Jesus may have visited these cities more than once. I give liberty for that. 
But the Bible only indicates that he went there one time. If he went there more than once, the Bible doesn't tell us that. And so understand that this thought is based upon the, the, the fact that the Bible only states that Jesus vi visited these cities one time. Now, let's first go to the little village of Nain, N-A-I-N. If you're a Bible reader, you may be familiar with the city of Nain. If you're new to the faith, new to the scriptures, or you haven't read through the Gospels a whole lot, you may be pretty unfamiliar with the city of Nain. It actually is a village, a city, that Jesus visited only one time. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 7, verse number 11, it says, And it came to pass the day after, that's the day after he left Capernaum, that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his, his, of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the, to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered them, delivered him unto his mother. And there came great fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, that God had visited his people. And so here in Luke chapter number 7, we see the first city that Jesus visited but one time. If you study the beginning part of Luke chapter 7, you'll see that he was in Capernaum. In fact, Capernaum, as I mentioned earlier, was where he had his uh, central area of his ministry. And so he was often in Capernaum. In fact, uh, Luke chapter 7 is an interesting comparison because Luke chapter 7 begins in a popular city like Capernaum, and then it goes to a small town like Nain. Luke 7 begins with the powerful and influential man of Capernaum, like the centurion, and it turns the, the, the tide and goes to a small, relatively insignificant woman who was a widow and now has lost her son. And so Jesus goes in Luke chapter 7 from speaking to a powerful, wealthy man to basically an unknown widow. And in one chapter, we see that Jesus is interested not just in the up and in, but he's also interested in the down and out. What this is telling us is Jesus is interested in everyone. This woman in Luke chapter 7, she was in a bad spot. Notice what the Bible says in verse uh, 12, in the middle of verse 12. It says, uh, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. She already lost her husband. Her husband was dead. Her, her life's mate was dead. The man that she vowed to spend the rest of her life with had died before she did. And, and, and the Bible calls her son a young man. And so it seems as though she may have not been that old herself. She had many years to live without her husband. And even though she had lost her, her life's partner, listen, in a certain sense, she lost her financial dependence. She lost her, 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 her stability financially. What would she do without her husband? Well, fortunately, she had a good young son. And that young son was probably taking care of his mother. By the way, that's what Jesus did on the cross. When John was there next to Mary, Jesus made sure that somebody took care of his mother. And that's likely what would have happened. It's not too much to say that's what would have happened here. Her husband died. Now her son was there. And hopefully she was young enough to do something productive, you know, to, to be able to bring an in income in. But her son would have been there to help support her. But the Bible says in verse 12 that her son died as well. It says in verse 12, there was a dead man carried out. This was literally a funeral procession. We even see the pallbearers there. The Bible says in verse 14, he came and touched the bier. The bier, B-I-E-R, that is the coffin. 
The Bible says he touched the coffin and they that bear him stood still. That's the pallbearers right there. They were bearing him. They stood still. They might not have known what was going on, but they were startled. They were trying to wrap their mind over what this man Jesus was doing. And the Bible says they stood still. And so this woman, she was in a bad spot. She was in a difficult spot. She was in a down and out spot. And Jesus tells her to do something that is beyond our comprehension. She had already lost her husband. She had just lost her son. She may have lost her son that day or the day before. And the Bible says in verse 13, it says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Next time you're at a funeral, you go up to the person that's weeping and you just tell them, Hey, don't weep. Don't cry about this. See how that works out for you. It's not going to work out well. It's an awkward thing to say. This is a weird thing from our perspective to say. Why would you say weep not? Obviously, he's God. He knows what he's about to do. He is saying weep not, have faith in me. He is saying weep not, I'm about to take care of all of your problems. He is saying weep not, listen, the Savior's on the scene. That is effectively what he is saying. But he tells her this strange thing. He says weep not. Listen, she had every reason to weep. At this very moment, she had lost her husband and she had lost her boy. She had lost her boy that was one, at one point dependent upon her and likely now she was dependent upon him. And she had lost him. She had lost her, her means to take care of herself. She had lost her financial stability. And listen, if, and if most little boys are like my little boy, he loves his mom. This boy would have loved his mother and he no doubt would have taken good care of her. But it was her only son. And now he was dead. She had every reason to weep, every reason to shed those tears, every reason to break down and think that all hope was lost. Jesus says, weep not. The Bible says in verse 13, notice what it says. It says, when, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Notice there was a passion that welled up inside of him. There was a passion when he saw her tears. There was a passion, a compassion for her that he was going to meet. A miracle. Notice what he says to this young man in verse 14. It's a very interesting way that Jesus raised the dead. Whenever Jesus raised the dead, he always spoke to the dead as though they heard him. Because they did hear him. Listen, Jesus not only could pierce through deaf ears, Jesus could pierce through dead ears. And that is what he says in verse 14. It says, he came and touched the bier, and they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, he expected this young man to listen. He said, young man, I'm talking to you. He said, I say unto thee, arise. And that young man who was dead, notice what it says in verse 15. And he that was dead sat up. Listen, you've never been previously dead. Nobody's ever gone to Max and say, hey, Max, how you doing? And, he, and him say, well, I was dead, but now I'm feeling good. Nobody's ever done that. That's an interesting phrase. He that was dead sat up. He always spoke to the dead as though they could hear because they could hear. This is how he called Lazarus back to life. This is how he called Jairus' daughter back to life. He said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. What do we learn about this one visit to this one city of Nain? Because Jesus goes out of his way for one woman who is in the worst time of her life. She was saddened, she was discouraged, she was disheartened and disillusioned. And Jesus knew that. Listen, Jesus knew that and he was a busy man. 
Just read chapter 7. He was speaking to important people at the first part of Luke chapter 7. He was a busy man talking to important people, but there was in the back of his mind this little woman in name that he couldn't get off his mind. Because as he was talking to the man in chapter 7 of the book of Luke, in the back of his mind, he knew that this young man had died. And he knew that this woman's heart was sinking. And he knew that this woman, of all things, he needed him. she needed him. And so he goes out of his way to leave the city lights of Capernaum to go down to a little village called Nain to help this one woman. He left the up and in of Capernaum to help the insignificant of Nain. And we are reminded through the story of Nain that even though we might be insignificant as far as this world is concerned, we are very significant to Jesus Christ. Jesus likes to visit us in our struggles. He likes to show his power in our struggles. Listen, if you study out the, the, the miracle of Nain here, the, the raising of the widow's son, and you compare it to other miracles, what you'll find is many other miracles of Jesus of Nazareth were done to prove that he was God, to authenticate who he was. This miracle was not like that. This miracle was born out of compassion. This miracle was not to prove he was God, although it did prove that he was God. This miracle was, 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 was conducted by, by our Lord to help the heart of a, of a mom who had just lost her boy. This miracle was done out of the pure compassion of Christ. And that's exactly where he finds us. In our hardships, out of his compassion that he has for us, he wants to meet us where we are. And from his compassion, Jesus Christ here in the city of Nain what you have is you have a living man, Jesus of Nazareth, who would soon die. He finds a dead man, this young man, who would soon live. Jesus of Nazareth, who has life in himself, raises a man that has death in himself. Jesus of Nazareth, the only begotten son of the heavenly father, would raise from the dead the only son of an earthly mother. And here in the city of Nain, this insignificant, unnamed woman gets a special visit from Jesus of Nazareth because she was that significant to him. Let's change scenes from the city of Nain and move to a bit of a more familiar city. Turn to John chapter 4. John chapter number 4. Nain got one visit from the city. I'm sorry, from the Savior. Let's see what other city would get one visit from the Savior. In John chapter 4, we find a next city, this city is a bit more familiar to us, at least its name is, and it's the city of Samaria. Samaria is, is famous to us because of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Those of you who uh, know Bible history know that Samaria was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. And when the Assyrian captivity took place, all of basically the poor and unwanted Jews were allowed to stay in Samaria. And eventually the Assyrians that would move back into Samaria, they would marry some of these leftover Jews and their descendants, the descendants of the Jewish leftovers and the Assyrians, those descendants would become known as the Samaritans, which means they were half Jew and half Gentile, which means because they were half Jew and half Gentile, they were hated by both groups of people because they were neither. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Gentiles hated the Samaritans. In fact, it seems as though the Jews, including the 12 disciples, hated the Samaritans so much that they would go out of their way just to avoid Samaria and avoid the Samaritans. But there's a phrase in Luke, I'm sorry, John chapter 4, that's a very powerful phrase. 
We see the the desire of Jesus to meet the need of one person in John chapter 4, much like we saw it back in Luke chapter 7. Let's look at what Jesus' desire is to visit this one city, one time, and notice what he does. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse number 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Notice that. He must needs go, go through Samaria. It was needful for Jesus to go through Samaria. He must do this. There was a woman that needed him, and she lived in Samaria. He didn't have the perspective of all the other Jews, and they effectively had a prejudiced or a racist perspective. Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus loved the Samaritans. They were wicked people, but he loved them nonetheless. And the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. And so like the city of Nain, where Jesus visited uh, one woman, here in Samaria, he also visits one woman. Notice what the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse uh, 5. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. She said, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? I thought greater than our father Jacob. That, by the way, there's her Jewish heritage right there. She claims Jacob as her father. Uh, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which he gave us as well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever shall drink of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the well that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Notice that the first person that he visited one time with one visit in the city of Nain was a woman. And here in Samaria, it's the same situation. One woman. But these are in very different situations. They're both in bad situations, but they come from two different perspectives. You see, the woman in Nain was in a bad situation that she had no control over. The woman here in Samaria, she was in a bad situation, and she had complete control over it. The woman in Nain had nothing to do, she did nothing wrong to get to where she was with the loss of her husband and the loss of her son. But here, the woman in Samaria, she did everything wrong to get to where she was. She was completely to blame and completely at fault. The woman in Nain had a problem because she had no man in her life to take care of her. The woman in Samaria had a problem because she had too many men in her life to take care of her. And two women come from very different backgrounds. They both have one thing in common. The one thing that they have in common is both of them simply need help. They don't need to be blamed. They don't need to be criticized. They don't need to be condemned. They need to be restored. They both found themselves in situations where they were no longer able to fix the situation. And only Jesus of Nazareth could help them. And Jesus was here in Samaria, not to condemn this woman, but rather to restore her. But in order to restore her, she had to be honest with herself. Notice what Jesus says 
Notice what the Bible says in verse 15. The woman said, sir, give me this water. He's he is talking about this everlasting water. She thinks he's, that, that he's still talking about physical water. He's referring to salvation. She says, give me this water. Give me this water of salvation. But he, she's got to be honest with herself first. Verse 16 says, he gets her to be honest with herself by kind of going in the back door. He says, go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. Jesus in that statement is basically saying, well, you got that right. You're finally being honest with your situation. You are correct. You have no husband. And then he's going to open up her past on her in such a way that only God could. The Bible says in verse uh, 17, thou hast well said, I have no husband. Verse 18 says, for thou hast had five husbands and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. He is basically saying, you've had five husbands, you've had five divorces, and now you're shacking up with a guy who's not even your husband. And then he says this at the end of verse 18. He says, in that saidst thou truly. He's basically saying, now you're being honest. Now I can get your attention. Now that I have your attention and you're being honest with yourself, now you can be fixed. Now you can be saved. Listen, as long as she was lying to herself, she could never get help. But when she became honest with herself and admitted her situation, it was then that she could get help. She says in verse 19, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And he basically just continues to witness to her. And uh, the Bible says in verse um, 22, you worship, you know not what? Talking about her religion. Uh, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And so here in Samaria, Jesus goes out of, her, out of his way to meet one woman on the one trip that he has to Samaria. You see, back in Nain, he visited one woman that had a heart that was broken. But here in Samaria, he's visiting one woman who had a heart that was bitter. He, she was bitter at life. She was likely bitter at men. These two different cities, Nain and Samaria, Jesus visited one time, and in both situations, there seemed to be one person that, it, that was in need. There seemed to be one person, one time in Nain, and one person, one time in Samaria, for which Jesus went out of his way to reach and to help. Amen. And I would submit to you, that the reason, one of the reasons we don't have the name of the woman in Nain, nor the name of the woman in Samaria, is because in a certain sense, all of us are, are, are these women at times. All of us are the heartbroken woman from Nain. All of us have our life crushed and, and disheveled like the woman in Nain. And quite frankly, all of us at times have sin just ravish us like the woman in Samaria. Let's go to a third city. Go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 will change from two women to a man. Mark chapter 5, he visits this one city one time. In Mark chapter number 5, it's a famous man. We don't know his name. Interestingly enough, the woman in Nain, the woman in Samaria, and this man here were never given their names. And this man, everyone's probably heard of him. It's the maniac of Gadara. The Bible says that he was from Gadara. And if we were to study this on a map, we would be traveling northeast from where we left in Samaria. We would be on the east side of the Jordan River. We would be on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, that's what it says in verse 1, chapter 5 of the... Did I say Luke or Mark? Mark. Okay, good. Mark chapter 5, verse number 1. 
The Bible says, and they came over to the other side of the sea, that's the Sea of, of Galilee, and, and into the country of the Gadarenes. Now, if you remember the 12 tribes of Israel back in the Old Testament, you remember the tribe of Gad? That's who this is. This is the tribe of Gad. This is, remember the two and a half tribes uh, that stayed on the east side of the Jordan River? That's who this is. This is the tribe of Gad. This is the remnants, the Gadarenes. Uh, the Bible says in verse 2, and when he was come out of the ship, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And watch how bad this guy is. Verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs. So his dwelling was among the tombs. So where did he live? Lived in a graveyard. Notice what it says. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains. So men had tried to bind this man. This man who was filled with the devil lived in a graveyard. They would bind him with chains, <clears throat> but he could not be held. The Bible says in verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, no man could bind him, verse 4, <clears throat> because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Notice verse 5, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. This was an absolutely demonic-filled man who in the power of demons could break anything that would bind him. So we go from a woman whose heart was broken to a woman whose heart was bitter to a man who had completely given himself over to Satan. And here in this scene of the maniac of Gadara, we see a situation where we have the greatest man on planet earth who has ever lived, Jesus of Nazareth, and against, at least at that time, the worst man on planet earth. A man that was filled with the spirit, squaring off with the man that was filled with the devil. Listen, these two men, it doesn't matter how good you think you are, you aren't as good as Jesus. And by the way, it doesn't matter how bad you think you are, you're not as bad as this maniac of Gadara either. You're probably somewhere in between, probably closer to the maniac, but that's a story for another day. This man was completely and utterly bound by Satan. He would scream all night. That's what it says there in verse 5, crying and cutting himself. He, he would, think about it, he would tear his skin with, uh, with stones. He would tear his clothes. He would tear his fetters. He would tear his chains. Completely and utterly insane by demonic possession was this man. And in one encounter with Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus fixes all of it. He goes to this man, Jesus does. And the Bible says in verse 6, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. That's the real man right there. That's not the demons that are filling him. That's the real man. And Jesus commanded these devils to come out. And then Jesus has a conversation with the devils, talking about his, their name is Legion. And, and he commands them to come out. And he uh, commands them to go into some swine. And the swine run down the hill. And in one conversation, notice what happens in verse 15. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. So he was possessed with a unique devil and had, had a legion of devils with him. Hundreds, maybe thousands of devils. We don't know. It says, and they, they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting. Notice he's not screaming and running. He's sitting. He's clothed. He's no longer naked. Uh, Luke 8 tells us he was naked. So he was sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. 
He was no longer under the possession of a demonic force. Now he was under the possession of God Almighty. And in one conversation, this unnamed demon-filled maniac gets his life together, gets his mind right. Notice what it says in verse 15. He's in his right mind. He went from a completely insane mind to a right mind. He went from being naked to being clothed, from raging to sitting. This is what Jesus does for people. He gets their life in order. But tragically, the residents of Gadara, they didn't want Jesus around. Notice what they did in verse 17. They didn't like this. They didn't like that the swine drowned. They didn't like that their livelihood uh, was at risk. So notice what they did in verse 17. It says, they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. They didn't want Jesus around. They, listen, think about this. Jesus visited Gadara one time, was asked to leave, and he never came back. That's a big deal. It is a big deal for you to ask Jesus to leave. He may never come back. You go ahead and defy the word of God. That's fine. You're asking Jesus to leave. You say, I wouldn't ask Jesus to leave. I'll do anything the Lord tells me to. He gave you a book of what he wants you to do. He wrote it down so you wouldn't forget. He wrote it down so you could reference it. He wrote it down so you could read it, and you still don't do it. What's the difference between you and me and the Gadarenes? Nothing. Nothing practically speaking. So he visits Gad one time to visit one man. He was asked to leave, and he literally never went back. And that maniac, when you die, if you're saved, you'll meet him in heaven one day. All those other Gadarenes, as far as we know, they died and went to hell. They rejected Christ. Possibly that was the last opportunity that Jesus would give them. And they rejected that. And Jesus probably thought, well, if you're going to reject me in the flesh, I'm done. And they crossed the line. Most of those people, unless they repented, they died and went to hell. So what do we learn about these places that Jesus visited only one time? I mentioned it a moment ago. It is interesting that no names are given to these people that he ministered to. It is interesting that he seemed to have gone to these one cities one time for one specific person. It is interesting to note that he was never asked to go to these cities. Nain, Samaria, Gadara. We don't see anyone saying, hey, come over here. Help us. Preach to us. Nobody asked that. But he knew the need of that one person that was in those cities. He knew the need of that one individual that needed him. None of them could see their need the way that Jesus could see their need, but he could see their need. And even though all of these people, the widow at Nain, the woman in Samaria, the maniac of Gadara, even though their needs were different in a certain sense, each of their needs were really the same. Each of them needed Jesus. Each of them needed one visit, one time from Jesus of Nazareth. And yet, after Nain, Samaria, and Gadara, there was one more place that he only visited one time. Go to Luke chapter 23. If you don't have a King James Bible, you don't have this place in your Bible. Luke chapter 23. He visited this place one time. The Bible says in verse 33, Luke 23, 33, when they were come to the place which is called Calvary. There they crucified him. He visited Calvary one time. 
As far as we know, he was never there before. As far as we know, he would never go back. Because what he did on Calvary was sufficient, not just for my sins for all of eternity. It was sufficient for your sins for all of eternity. He would never go there beforehand. He would never go back. Calvary was visited one time. You had one woman that was helped at Nain, one woman that was helped at Samaria, one man that was helped in Gadara, and the entire world was helped at Calvary. Go up to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. You see, because what he accomplished at Calvary was so significant, it could never be repeated. Which is why if what Jesus accomplished at Calvary was good enough, it'll always be good enough. If what Jesus accomplished at Calvary wasn't good enough, it'll never be good enough. Which means there's no reason for the Roman Catholic Church to repeat the, ca- the, 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 the Mass at Calvary every single time they assemble. If it wasn't good enough then, it's not good enough now, so why repeat it? But if it was good enough then, you still don't need to repeat it because it was good enough then. He visited Calvary one time, never to go back. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice? For, for, first for his own sins. He, the, uh, Paul is saying here, he didn't need to offer sacrifice. He did not need to offer sacrifices for his own sins. That's what Paul is saying. He said he needeth not to offer sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the, for the people's. For this he did once. Notice that word, once when he offered up himself. According to the Bible, how many times did he die on Calvary? Once. Go up to Hebrews 9. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews 9, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25. The Bible says, Nor yet that, she, that he should have offered himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Paul is saying, listen, he doesn't need to offer himself often. That's what he's saying. Jesus did not need to offer himself often. Verse 26. For then must he often have suffered. But he didn't. He only suffered once. For then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, notice that word once, in the, in the end of the worlds, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them look for him, to sh- he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And so Nain, he visited one time. Samaria, he visited one time. Gadara, he visited one time. But the greatest place that Jesus of Nazareth ever visited one time was Mount Calvary. Listen, I can take you back 36, 37 years at this point to a small country church in Harrison, Ohio. I can take you back to the very moment that I met Christ at Calvary. I've never been to Mount Calvary personally, but I've been to Mount Calvary. The moment that I got saved, I met Christ at Calvary. The moment you got saved, you met Christ at Calvary. And if you're saved, you can go back to that very moment when you know Christ changed your heart. You see, I believe with all my heart that if that widow at Nain had been the only person in Nain, Jesus would have still made that trip. I believe with all my heart that that woman at the well Had she been the only person in Samaria that needed his help, he would have still made that trip. I believe that maniac of Gadara, had he been the only man in Gadara that needed his help, Jesus would have still made that trip. And can I tell you, I believe with all my heart that if I was the only person that ever lived in sin, and I was the only one that needed Christ to make that trip to Calvary, I believe he would have met me at Calvary. 
You see, the Bible's very clear. John chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that God so loved the world. So according to the Bible, did Jesus or did he not die for the sins of the whole world? He did. Amen. Died for the sins of the whole world. But I would submit to you that Galatians 2.20 is also in the Bible. And it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Listen to me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, yes. It is correct to say he died for everybody in this room. But I can look Liam Hansen right in the eyes and say, Jesus Christ died for you, young man. I can look Max Worley right in the eye and say, son, Jesus Christ died for you. Because I believe with all my heart, if he went to Nain for one person and he went to Samaria for one person, he went to Gadara for one person, I believe with all my heart, he would have gone to Calvary for one person. That is the degree to which he cares for you. That is the degree to which he cares for me. He visits us when we are in Nain and our heart is broken. He visits us in Samaria when our sin has gotten the best of us. He visits us in Gadara when we've given over to our baser flesh desires and our anger. But understand the greatest place he has ever visited us is at Calvary. Four places. And it seems as though Jesus only visited these places one time. It seems as though there was one person in his mind that he had on his mind when he visited these places. And I don't know where you are tonight. Maybe you're in Nain and you're discouraged. And you have to understand that Jesus visited Nain and he conquered death. He is the giver of physical life. And maybe you're in Samaria and, and, and your sin and your false religion is getting the best of you. Understand, he visited Samaria. He, he conquered false religions. He conquered, uh, he is the giver of spiritual life. Maybe you're in Gadara. And, 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 and the, the lust of your flesh and the anger of your life is getting the best of you. He, he conquered that as well. And maybe tonight you're just unsaved. And you don't know Christ as Savior. Understand something, he visited Calvary for you. He visited Calvary one time, never to return for the sins of the whole world. He conquered death, hell, and the grave all at Calvary, which is why whatever you need, wherever you are, Jesus is there to visit you in your time of need. Amen. Brother Wally.